As you're being seated, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings is towards the front of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there, there should be some who uh, would be glad to share one with you this morning. You can just lift your hand and they'll give you one. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home with you. Um, today we're in this series called Believing God. Um, I know many of you are expecting the Christmas sermon series, and uh, God, we were planning to do that, to be perfectly honest, and God just kind of said, you're not in charge, I am, so do what I tell you to do. So here we are, and so I believe that this is a God-ordained uh, path that we are taking, and today we are talking about a healer. We are talking about who really is in charge, and this is a great story about believing God. In this story in 2 Kings chapter 5, there are three characters that I want us to pay attention to today. The first one is the prophet of God, a man named Elisha. And Elisha is a man who uh, was, was God's voice for his people, and even for those who may not have even been seeking him, because I don't know if you know it or not, but church, God wants to use you in your world to spread the gospel. The gospel, the, the Bible, the good news is not just for those who already know Jesus. It is the proclamation that we need to make in our daily lives of how we live, how we speak, how we serve, so that others might find Christ. The second character that we want to look at this morning is a man named Naaman. And we'll describe him in a moment, but he was essentially a man with a very important position who got a very horrible disease. And we'll describe him in just a second, but the third one I don't want you to miss. Because I think the third one is, is maybe where some of you may be today, and it's a servant girl. A, a girl in slavery, a girl who had no reason to bless someone who had enslaved her. But because she loved Jesus and because she wanted, uh, she, she loved and served a God of all creation, she wanted even those who had put her in captivity to find the same grace and love and healing that she had found. So I want us to look in 2 Kings chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Naaman, a commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a what? A leper. Now, most of us in our day and time have not had a scare with leprosy, okay? If you know somebody with leprosy, you're odd. Uh, but <laughs> leprosy was a horrible disease. In that day and time, it was a death sentence. Essentially, when you got this disease, they put you in a place with other lepers and essentially just waited for you to die. And I don't, I don't want to be gross or anything, but leprosy is a skin disease where essentially your body parts rot off, okay? Not pleasant, nothing that Mary Kay can do to cover that up, okay? It's just a, it's just a horrible disease, and if you look at who Naaman is, Naaman is, is an important man. He was a commander in King Aram's army. He, he was one who had won battles for his king. He was a valiant soldier. He had all these great accomplishments. But the end of verse 1 said he had leprosy. 
Now, there's something that you need to pay attention to in verse 1 that many times people will overlook. It says that he had gained many great val- uh, he had been a valiant warrior, he had, been, he had won many battles. But then, if you'll look in the middle of verse 1, it says, Because by him who the Lord had given him great victory. Now, this was a man who did not follow God, this was a man who did not serve God. And yet, the victory came from God. So I want to I just take this little side note and let you understand. Good things come from God, even to those who may not recognize that they are being blessed by God. You see, the king, the king and his kingdom was being blessed by a man that God was essentially going to be touching and using his life for great things. This is a great story. Look at verse 2. It says in verse 2 that he had this horrible disease at the end of verse 1. Now, the Syrians... One of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Here's this little girl who was ripped from her home, ripped from her family, commanded, forced to serve someone, whether she liked it or not, this was her uh, place in life. Now, I don't know about you, But if I was ripped from the place that I loved and from the people that I loved and taken to a different land, I would have an attitude. Anybody with me? Anybody here this morning? Would you have an attitude? I mean, would you would you spit in their oatmeal every morning? I mean, would you you know stir in a little dirt with their tea? I mean, honestly, I mean that's that's where we would feel because you took me from a place that I I loved and I was cared for and my family was there and now I must serve you. But look at verse 3. She understood her master's place. She understood that her master essentially had a death sentence. She said to her mistress, Would that, would that my Lord went, to, went with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Now, we're just honest. It's just us in here, right? Would you have told him? I'd have said, Die, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. Right? I mean, we, we'd have had that, that desire, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You, you did something bad to me, I'm going to pay you back, we're going to watch you die and suffer. But you know what? Here's the difference. When Jesus, when God comes into your life and changes you, part of what changes is your desires to help other people. And I believe this little girl loved God with all of her heart. Enough that she said, even though I'm in a place that I don't want to be, even though I've been put in circumstances that I cannot control, I'm going to try to help those around me to see the God that has changed my life. I'm going to help people see that God is the one and true God, and he is the healer. And so instead of containing this knowledge up, instead of saying, you know, die, I don't care about you, she says, oh, if you could just know my God and his prophet." then this would all go away. Look at verse 4. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, and, and, thus, and, the spoke, and, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel and the king of Syria, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So you got to understand in this day and time, you didn't just take off and do what you wanted to do, that you had to have permission. And so he worked for his superior, whose superior essentially had to give him a passport to be able to have safe travel. And so that's what the, begins to happen. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, 
When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman my servant and that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, essentially what happened is he went to the king and he said, listen, I'm sick, I'm dying, I'm an important man for you. I don't want to just rot away. Would you send me to this possible healing, to this, this cure? And the king says, hey, you're important to me. Take the company credit card, and that's what this list of things are, the gold, the silver, the changes of clothing. He essentially loads him up with, with money, bribes, however you want to look at it, and says, go and, and find the healing from the king of Israel. Now, the king of Israel has a little freakout moment because he is not the prophet of God. Although he is, he, he, is God, he is the leader of God's people, he doesn't have the ability to heal, and so he has a little freakout moment. Verse 7, And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? If this man sends words to me, words to, me to cure a man of his leprosy, only consider and see how he was seeking a quarrel with me. He thought, this guy's trying to cause trouble. He's making fun of me. He's taunting me. He's sending this guy to be healed. And he tore his clothes, which was a symbol of his frustration and his desire to, I, I don't know what to do, and so I'm, I'm tearing my clothes, and it's, and it's stress, it's, it's frustration. And he thought, okay, now this guy has, has been next to me. Now we're about to go to war, and, and I don't want to go there. What are you doing? What are you saying? Are you trying to start a fight? And then in verse 8, look at verse 8. It said, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him now come to me that he may know, listen to this, if you underline stuff in your Bible, let him know that there is a prophet in Israel. Let him know that there is a representative of the only God in Israel. Let him know that there is someone who has the resources, who has the ear of God, that there might be healing, that he is not asking out of the realm of the possibility of God, but he is he's saying, send him to me. Because king, although you may be the king of the kingdom, there is a king of kings and a lord of lords. So send him to me. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, you need to understand that Naaman was a guy who was used to having everything at his fingertips. He was a guy who thought, you know, if I want something, all I have to do is ask and people will fall all over themselves to get it done. He, he had the best of life. He had money. He had resources. He had people who would die for him. And so he pulls up to Elisha's house. He's made this journey. He, he, he is an important enough man that his king made the preparations for him to go. Now he's about to see who, who, the man who can heal him, he believes. And he pulls up to the front. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says, um, sorry, I'm light problem. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. Now process this through the mind of a man who feels entitled. He pulls up to Elisha's house and Elisha kind of roll down, rolls down the window of the car and just like cracks a little bit and says, Hey, glad you're here. Go wash in the Jordan seven times and let me know how it works out. He rolls the window back up. 
I mean, if you can imagine what's going through Naaman's mind, Naaman thinks, okay, here I am. Now the prophet should come out. He should recognize I'm here. They roll, they roll out the red carpet, offer me tea, all this kind of stuff. And so Elisha goes, yeah, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. And Naaman, he has a freak out moment. Look at verse 11. But Naaman was angry and did what? He went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure a leopard. Are not Abana and Phaphar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could, could I not have washed in them and been clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. What happened is that Naaman said three things. Number one, he said, listen, he didn't even come out and see me. He sent a servant. It, it would be like the president of the United States coming to your house and you sent your son out to kind of say, hey, glad you're here. Let us know if you need anything. Okay? He's, he is flipping out. I'm an important man. You, you, should, you should understand who I am. Do, do you not know my name? Do you not know the power that I have? Do you not know the resources that I have at my fingertips? He also says, listen, I, I thought he would come out and, and he'd do some hocus-pocus magic. He'd bring out his Jesus wand and do a little pixie dust on me or you know, throw some something on me. There'd be a puff of smoke and I'd be healed. He really thought that there would be some you know, show to it. You know, here's a magic cape. You're healed. You know, but none of that happened. And so he's flipping out. He's freaking out. And, and then the last thing he says, he essentially says, Elisha must be a quack. This, this whole thing has been a, a farce from the beginning. The little girl back home, maybe she was just trying to make me look like a fool. And so I'm out of here. I, I'm gone. I, I, I'm not even doing this because, you know, the, I, I there are better places for me to go wash. What? He's wanting me to go and dip in the Jordan. Now, you got to understand that this really is muddy, dirty water. I mean, he comes from a place where there are clear mountain streams that the, the snow in the mountain melts and there's just crystal clear. Why would I not go wash in one of those beautiful places? Instead, he wants me to get clean by jumping in dirty water. Oh, that doesn't even make sense. Why, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to be, uh, go do that? But luckily, important men have smart people around them. If you look in verse 13, because he, he's ready to leave. I mean, he's back in the car. He slammed the door. Start up the engines. We're out of here. I, I, this was all a joke. It's all a mess. I'm getting out of here. I don't want to hear this anymore. Let's get back to the house. If I'm going to die, at least I'm going to not be made fun of anymore. But his servants, verse 13, came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Had... Uh, has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? You see, what his servant said to him is this. <laughs> what his servant said was, Naaman, you got leprosy, okay? It's not like you can go down to the clinic and get a salve. It's not like there's another option. 
You've made all this journey, and even though your pride has been hurt, even though you think that it should have looked a different way, even though you think it should have happened in a different pattern, you got leprosy. I mean, your fingers are falling off and your ear just fell off. How how are you going to fix all this? And so Naaman comes to his senses. In fact, they said, you know, what if he'd asked you to do something great? Would you not have done that? And so Naaman kind of takes a breath. I don't think he completely was over it. But when you got leprosy, what else are you going to do? Look at verse 14. So he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. Now, this is a process. Why did God choose to do it this way? Because Elisha could have come out of the house. He could have recognized him. He could have put his hand on him. He could have said, you know what? Uh, You're healed. I think that God was doing a work in Naaman's life. I I think he was working on his pride. I think Naaman needed to understand that he was not God. But that's not written in here. That's just what we can perceive from the outside. And so you know Naaman, okay, I got leprosy. What else am I going to do? I either go get in the dirty water or I go back home and I die anyway. So what have I got to lose? So you can see him getting in dirty water. Okay, and so he jumps in first time, comes out, still missing my pinky on my right hand. You know, he he jumps in again two times, three times, four times, five times. You can see him going, this isn't working. He's making a fool out of me. He brought me all this way. I, I, I could have I just died a still important man. Now I'm being made a fool. Fifth time, sixth time. Now, here's my belief. I think if he'd have done it six and three quarters of times, it wouldn't have worked. You know why? Because God said seven. He gets in the sixth time, comes back out, and his, you know, his, his cheerleaders are over there going, Ooh, he did it. Six, six, one more, one more. Just, you know, jump in, belly flop, whatever. They're going, seven, just one more time. And he goes in seven times. He jumps in the seventh time. Look at what it says in the verse. It says that, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was made clean. You know what happened? Is that a miracle happened, something in that dirty water. When, when he jumped in, He came back out, fully restored. Now, this is my belief. I believe leprosy had already come into place. He may have lost a couple things, like his ear or a finger or something. The Bible says that he was fully restored. And that his skin became like that of a little child, smooth as a baby's Mm -hmm. bottom yeah we'll say it in church right it says that he didn't just get healed he got fully restored you see because if he'd have done it six times it wouldn't work but that seventh time when he jumped in the water that something happened god made him clean seven is the number of completeness in scripture and i believe that god did that on purpose he didn't choose five or four or three or seven and a half he said seven 
And when he got in that seventh time, God did a work in his life. God changed his perspective. And then he began to deal with not only what was on the outside, but was what was going on on the inside. Look at verse 15. Because the story, in my Bible, it breaks Scripture, but I believe the next verse or so completes the story. Look at verse 15. And then he returned to the man of God. Now, do you think he had to swallow a little pride? Because he had had that little hissy fit in the front yard. You remember that? You know, you know, Elisha cracked his window and said, go wash in the Jordan sometimes and come back and see me. And he's like, and he stormed off. And then his guy said, okay, do what he says. And now he's had to come back. And he's, have you ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever made a fool of yourself and then had to come back and Say I was a fool when I left and here I've come back and I want to make things right. That's, that's verse 15. He returned to the man of God, Elisha, and he and all his company. And he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but, <laughs> but in Israel. So accept now your present from your servant. He, he came thinking I got to pay my, my medical bill. I, I got to pay for what happened. But did you see what he said? He said, now I know this was never a joke. Now I know that there is not God's, there is a God. And his, he, he is your God and he is in control of everything. I just went into muddy water and I came out looking like a brand new child. I just went in and was obedient to God. And God has not only changed my life, saved my life, but changed my heart. He said, there is no God except for your God. Look at verse 16. Now, this is an important man. Look at what happened to his heart. But he said, as the Lord lives and before whom I stand, I will receive none. He's not taking the payment. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. You see, God's not in the business of of being manipulated by the world's resources. You see, what Elisha wanted, what what God was wanting Elisha to do in in the life of Naaman was to understand you are not in control. And until you're obedient to what God wants to do in your life, you will never have that change happen in your life. You see, what God did in Naaman's life was he not only said, I'm not only going to heal your outside, but I'm going to change the inside of you. Here's what I understand. That in this room today, there are people like me and people like you, and we have scars on the outside, and we have problems and situations that we are overwhelmed by. And God says, listen, you got to trust me. Now, that sounds really easy. In fact, we could go next door to the kids' connection over here, and we could talk about trusting God. And you know what a kid's going to understand eventually? Yeah, that's the answer. And the answer is trust me. So it's very simplistic, but it's very complicated, isn't it? Because although we may know it here, we have to know it here. You see, what Naaman had to understand that it was more than just following a set of rules that changed his life. It was changing the perspective and the priorities in his heart that really healed him. Because God didn't just heal the leprosy in his life. He healed the hurt of his heart. I would have loved to have had a conversation with Naaman. Because I I would bet that Naaman would have said, Hey, you know what? Everybody thinks I'm important. I've achieved all these things, and yet my heart feels empty. I've done all these things, and and everybody thinks I'm a hero. And yet deep inside, I have this hollow feeling as if I'm not who I'm supposed to be. 
You see, because what we need to understand is that none of us are strong enough to finish well on our own. Naaman Naaman had all the accolades. Naaman had all the awards and the medals. And yet he was about to die of a disease. And that's what he would be remembered by. Yeah, he was the hero, but you know, he died of leprosy. And God not only saved his life, but he changed his heart. You see, there are things in life that make us different, but many things are in common. here's, Here's what I want you to know, church. Look at your neighbor right now. Just, just look at them. And if it's kind of weird, then look away quickly, okay? But look, look at your neighbor. Here's what I want you to see. Your neighbor has a disease that's killing them. The, the person on your right and the person on your left, they've got th- it, it may not be a physical disease. It, it may not be something medically wrong with them. But I want you to know there's something that's eating at them. There's something that is worrying them. There, there's a problem in their life that they're not sure how it's going to work out. And they're just like you. And, and, and the problem that we face in our society today is this. That we feel like we're the only one that are struggling. And so we all walk around saying, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. Oh, everything's good. Life is grand. Merry Christmas. And we just lie. Because what's really going on in our heart is there are people in this room who are just dying on the inside. And they feel like I'm the only one. Here's what I want you to know. That, that God wants to walk with you. And we, we have the opportunity to do the right things. We have the opportunity to live the right way. But how do we do that? For instance, how do you stay married? How, how do you stay in a relationship and be committed to them? How do you stay pure in your mind and your heart? How do you make good decisions? How, how do you live a life of integrity day after day after day? You see, because we have the opportunity to fail at, at any of those. How, how do you do that when, when you sit down with someone who's been married for 50 years and you say, how did you make it this far? And they go, one day at a time. One day at a time. How do I live for God in my life? One day at a time. How do I do the right thing? You do it one day, one decision, one moment at a time. You see what Naaman realized was, I can't I can't do this on my own. And what he had to come to the understanding was that he had to believe in God. He had to believe that God was big enough to handle his problems. He had to believe that God was bigger than his ego. He had to believe that God was able to come into his life and to help him walk through the tough days and the tough situations. You see, you can't overcome temptation on your own. You need a holy God to walk with you through that. Guys, how do you remain pure in your thought life, in your mind, in your heart? Ladies, how do you, how do you keep from saying the wrong things and being involved in the wrong um, conversations? How do we go into our work life and, and make decisions of integrity even when nobody is watching? You believe in God and you trust Him in those tough moments. You see, because when we begin to trust God completely, those tough situations, we know that we're not by ourselves. 
When, when we're in those tough, uh, 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 we're making those tough decisions and we're, we're in those tough relationships, we have to believe that God is big enough to help us in those moments. And, and then here's the, here's the thing. Because we could all go, oh yeah, I got to trust God. Oh, I got to believe in God. Yeah, woo, I'm in. Okay? Can I just share with you a personal thing that happened to me this week? Uh, I was traveling this week. Uh, drove more miles than, than I should have. And, and so I was a lot of time in the car. When I'm in a car, oftentimes I'll listen to sermons or, or stuff. And I'm, I'm listening to a sermon. And, and God's doing a great thing in, uh, in the work of life of our church. Uh, we're excited about next year that we hope to plant uh, uh, an extension of us in Belfouche. And we're really excited about that. And we had a piece of property that's come on uh, as a possibility. And, and uh, we're just looking at that and trying to figure out how to make all that work and excited about that. Um, and uh, honestly, I prayed and asked God, God, if this is your will for this piece of property, for this new church, that, that you would provide half. And I thought, you know, Money doesn't grow on trees, and that's an awesome thing. And, and so asking God for half. And I'm halfway between Dallas, Texas, in the middle of East Texas, uh, Longview, where Jeffrey and Julie used to live. And I'm listening to this sermon, and God goes, so you think I'm not good enough for the whole thing? Um, no. I think you're good. Because I believe in God. I even say I trust him completely. You know what God said? Eh, jump in the Jordan seven times. I hate it when I preach my own sermons to myself. It really stinks. I mean, I just said, I mean, it wasn't like when I prayed the half prayer that I was like going, God, you're only half a God. You know, I thought it was a big step of faith and God goes, why not ask for it all? That's a great idea. I don't, is it going to happen? I don't know. But God said, listen, if you believe me, if you trust completely in me, then, then why would you not ask me? You see, because it's more than head knowledge. Because what happens in church life is that we memorize all the verses and, oh, we believe in God and we raise our hands and we get all emotional. Woo, you know, we, you know, cheering and all that stuff. And I think that's great. But if you don't do anything with it, it's just fluff. And if you want your faith to be fluff, this probably isn't the church for you. Because what we're trying to do is to build a faith that will move mountains. And can I just, I mean, I'm being as transparent as I know. I messed up. And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like I said, I don't believe that God's strong enough. I don't believe he's big enough. Because what I have watched God do over and over and over and throughout the 41 years of my life is go, hey, I got this. If you'll just trust me and believe in me, I'll do more than you could ever ask or imagine. And, and then I'm sitting in the car and I'm weeping because I thought, did I not believe enough? Because I've not asked God to save some of our city. I've asked him to save all of it. I'm not asking God to allow the gospel to go forth in just pockets of the Black Hills. I'm asking for it to go into all of it. And so why when, when, faced, when faced with the opportunity to see God do a great thing, why would I even ask him for half? I'm asking God for the whole thing. Because I believe that when God tells us to do something, jumping in the Jordan six and a half times just won't do. 
And so I don't know what's going on in your life. I really don't. But I feel the leading of the Holy Spirit in this place this morning like I haven't felt in a long time. And I just believe that there's some of you that God has said, jump in the dirty water seven times. And you're on number four going, I don't think this is going to work. Maybe I need to help God. Maybe I need to work a little harder. Maybe I need to do something a little different. Maybe, you know, God's on vacation and he doesn't, he doesn't think that it's all going to work out. And what God is saying, seven times, what are you waiting on? Get in the water. Jump in. Number five, number six. Maybe you're on number two. I don't know where you are. I just know that this message came from God for you today is to jump in. Seven times, complete it, be obedient. Because what happens when we're obedient to God, catch this, God will do amazing, incredible, unexplainable things. You see, I don't believe that God is done with all the miracles in our life. I don't believe that God is done with the things that he is going to do in our world. I don't believe that he's done with all the healing. I don't believe that he's done with all the incredible water uh, parting, uh, you know, flood the whole world. I, I don't think that God is done. I think he's got some miracles left in him, quite a few. And we can either believe that that can happen here in your life and in my life, in the life of our church, in the life of the missional uh, mindset that we have as a church, or that we'll miss out because we stood on the shore, number five, going, we need a committee to study whether six and seven is going to be feasible. Hey, you know what? Let's jump in and see how it works out. I'd rather come to the end of my journey and say, you know what? I jumped in seven times wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but I was obedient to God. God's smarter than me. And it worked out anyway. It wasn't what I thought was going to happen. Because here's what I know about God. He rarely does things the way that I think that they're supposed to be done. But his plan never messes up and mine usually does, right? So here's what I want to challenge you today. Is if you're standing on the shore and God has told you to jump in the muddy water, if he's telling you to take a step of faith like you have never done before, and he said seven times, and you're on number three, and the questions are coming, and, you don't, and somebody's going, you're a fool, you don't know what you're doing, why are you following this God, why are you acting crazy like that, why, why are you doing these things, it doesn't make sense. Listen, God's never confused, man is always confused. Keep your eyes on the goal. Because what happened with Naaman can happen with you. God can not only fix your outside appearance, the things that are going on in your life, that you are overwhelmed by the problems, the situations, the questions. God can not only bring peace to that, but he can change your heart and help you to learn to trust him more. So this morning, I just want us to end in this way. If you're ready to jump, then I want you to turn your life over to God today and say, you know what, God, I don't know, I don't know how it's all going to work out. But I'm in. I'm jumping in the water. One time. Two times. Three times. Four times. Five times. Six times. Seven times. Because I believe that God wants us to have victory. Because he's involved. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to do the invitation in a different way today in this. My belief is that there are people like Naaman today who need to jump 
And if that's you, listen, don't, do not walk out of these doors without saying to God, I'm in. God has brought this message to you for a reason, and he wants you to experience the greatness of his healing, but the peace that he brings to your life because of obedience. So I'm going to pray a prayer over you that God will give you courage. And then what I want you to do is to feel free to call, email, share with us the victories as a church. They cheered with you coming in today, but I, listen, I want to be the cheering group when we hear the testimony of how God has worked in the lives of people. That's what, that's what it's all about. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we... We ask forgiveness for the times when we have stood on the shore knowing that we were supposed to be in the water and we didn't jump. God, there's just fear that comes from Satan in our lives. He distracts us. He pulls us off course. And today we ask that you would help us to jump in. God, not to be a number five guy, not to be a number six person, but Lord, to be a obedient jumping in the water seven times. When you tell us to go, God, that we would not hold back, but with everything that we have jumping in and being willing to let you work and move and change us. God, I, I look forward to the stories of victory, of people who said, I not only believed in God, I not only trust in God, but I, I jumped in and God did a work that just blew my mind. He changed me. I trust him now more than ever. God, would you help us to have that kind of church that, that has that kind of victory over and over and over again? God, I also pray for those of us in this room who may be like that servant girl who think that the salvation that we have is just for the good people who deserve it because none of us deserve it. God, would you forgive us for the times when we have not shared Christ with someone because we thought that they weren't good enough to deserve it. But Lord, that we would take the life-saving message of the gospel to all who would hear. Father, would you help us to be like Elisha who trusted in you, who believed Lord, even when it sounds crazy, Lord, that we believe that you have a plan for our lives. Lord, lastly, I pray this morning for those who may be like Naaman, who have unbelieving hearts. And Lord, today they've been exposed to the gospel message that Jesus loves them and has a plan for their life. And Lord, if they've never asked you into their heart, Lord, I pray that this might be the day that they realize that and reach out for help. And Lord, even right now, as they have their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if they need to ask Jesus into their heart, Lord, I pray that they would just repeat this prayer silently in their seat. Lord Jesus, I'm tired of running away, and today I run to you. I confess to you all of my sins and ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. Lord, I don't know everything that it means to follow you, but this day I begin a journey of seeking after your ways. Change my heart, O oh God, and make me like you. Lord, when they pray that, you tell us that they get forgiveness of their sins and you come into their heart and be their Lord and Savior. Lord, that's what we're all about. We, we are not here to gather a group. We're here to see the gospel go forth. And so, Father, would you give them the courage to tell somebody today about asking you into their heart. Lord, we love you. <laughs> we celebrate who you are. You are a good God. You are our healer. And we trust in you. 
completely and ask that this day that you would get the glory for all that's done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.